ولقد كرمنا بني آدم وحملناهم في البر والبحر ورزقناهم ورزقناهم من الطيبات وفضلناهم على كثير ممن خلقنا تفضيلا أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم and welcome to the ninth episode of this podcast series titled Becoming Bani Adam Exploring 12 Rashi'i Discussions on Human Ancestry. My name is Fatima Megji, and I'll be introducing each podcast episode, which is an audiobook of a paper that I wrote a few years ago and is being narrated by Brother Justin Mishouf. This episode continues to discuss the previous episode in which we opened up the scriptural evidence for the idea that Adam salam is the forefather of all of humanity. And today we're going to continue this discussion that we started off in our previous episode. Various Twelver Shi'i scholars opine that the literal meaning of this verse, or its zuhur, indicates that all of humanity today are the offspring solely of Adam and Eve salam, with no third parties involved. However, there are some Mufassirin who posit that though this is the zuhur, or the more likely prima facie meaning of the verse, there is still room for other literal possibilities if we're forced to take that route. For example, Ayatollah Jawadi Amuni in his tafsir classes has mentioned the possibility of this mixed ancestry between Adamic and non-Adamic lines, and this is not problematic per se, even though he eventually rejects this notion based on the luhur of the verse and the other traditions that we mentioned earlier. And this is because he did not consider or does not consider the empirical data to be significant enough to exit this Allahiri meaning of the Qur'an. Most of our contemporary Shi'i scholars maintain, however, that should there be empirical data that suggests the impossibility of only two predecessors, that we can opt for other linguistic possibilities and take the dual pronoun used in this verse of Surat al-Misa, Huma, less stringently. And this is also the opinion that the likes of Ayatada Jawadi Amuni hold. As such, even though we know that Adam salam was created in a miraculous, unique process without parents, Outside of the process of evolution, it is possible that there were other homo sapiens which Adam salam's offspring mated with, and this idea would explain the existence of the DNA in the current human population that shows genetic markers and indicates that we have mixed ancestry from other homo sapiens that existed thousands and millions of years ago. As long as we can trace all of our ancestry to Adam salam through either matrilineal or patrilineal lines, an idea which is actually not foreign to science at all, because as a side note, there is the concept of an MRCA or most recent common ancestor for all of humanity today that evolutionary biologists actually calculate to approximately six to 10,000 years ago. However, the bigger problem here is presented when we grapple with the Ahadith literature, which even though surprisingly they mention the existence of pre-Adamic human beings or human-like creatures, they also mention the extinction of these other creatures, which we explained in the previous episode. However, there's so much that we don't know from these traditions, including, for example, what species exactly were the Nasnas? Is it possible that there were some left over and continued to exist afterwards? Moreover, could there be a possibility that humanity went through a two-person bottleneck and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just used DNA from previous creatures or duplicated it when he was creating Adam alayhi salam? All of these possibilities could explain the genetic markers that we see from previous hominid species, So there are many possibilities that could actually explain the empirical data in front of us. But with that, let's open today's episode and return to the audiobook with Brother Justin. 
Beyond these two options, reproduction via incest or with other beings, Ayatollah Nasser Makarim Shirazi in Tafsir Neymuneh brings a third option forward. He says, quote, If we are to say that when there is conflict between a hadith, then that which is in agreement with the apparent nature of the Quran should be given preference. Then we must take the first set of a hadith, i.e. incest, as it is more in line with the verse in question. Here, however, there is also another possibility that can be said, and that is that the children of Adam married individuals from the remaining population of previous humans. This is because, according to our ahadith, Adam was not the first human on earth, and modern science also shows that a type of human was most likely living millions of years before while in history. Not much time has passed between the creation of Adam until now. According to this, we must agree that there were humans before Adam who lived on earth, that were in the process of extinction when Adam was created. So what obstacle is there for the sons of Adam to have mated with the remainder of this population? However, as we have said, this possibility is not as compatible with the apparent Zahir nature of the verse in question. This topic requires more discussion that is beyond the scope of tafsir. End quote. This argument is compelling, especially because evolutionary biologists are vehemently against the idea that we are not related to previous species due to identical genetic sequences. Ayatollah Nasser Makaram Shirazi's suggestion would explain these genetic sequences and solve the problem proposed by evolutionary biologists, as we could then trace our ancestry to these other hominid species in addition to Adam and Eve. Unfortunately, this would contradict the stories mentioned in the Ahadith literature that contend that other human-like species were completely destroyed before Adam. The crux of the issue is that evolutionary biologists argue that our DNA contains genetic markers that indicate that we share parts of our DNA with other homo species, like Neanderthals. The idea that these genetic markers must be inherited versus unique to individuals is the foundational premise over which DNA is analyzed and ancestral populations estimated. The main Quranic tension with this idea lies in the level of literal haqiqi extremity with which we wish to understand the verse. It is possible to entertain the idea that we are also descendants of these other homo species if we are willing to work from a meaning of the verse that is still literal but arguably less so. Moreover, we would also need to reject literal meanings of the ahadith literature almost entirely. When the Quranic verse states that a group of people are descendants of two individuals, does that mean that they are the genetic product of only those two individuals? Does staying true to this statement necessitate that there should not be any other individuals contributing to their DNA? One could argue that the apparent nature of the verse wouldn't negate the possibility of other DNA contributors. For example, when we discuss families and ancestral lines, we may note a certain grandfather and grandmother and note all of their grandchildren as part of their lineage. However, there are third-party contributors to DNA of their grandchildren. Despite this, we would continue to contend that these two individuals are the ancestors of those grandchildren. Calling them the grandchildren of those two individuals would not be contradictory to the prima facie meaning, khilaf al-zahir. It would continue to be a literal haqiqi meaning of the verse. However, it would not be a zahir prima facie meaning. What the discussion simmers down to is whether a literal haqiqi reading of the verse necessitates only two contributors to our current DNA pool. If not, the verse could mean that our shared ancestors are Adam and Eve, and possibly Nu. And this is what defines the literal accuracy of referring to mankind as Bani Adam, and Adam as Abu'l-Bashar. 
Interestingly, the verse notes that numerous men and women have come from these two, though it doesn't literally unequivocally state that all human beings have spread from them. The verse does not bring any particle or word that indicates all, which could be noted by using the words jami'an or kul. It simply says many. In response to the possibility that the verse could be alluding to other human ancestors, Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli in Tafsir Tasnim explains that this clearly goes against a hadith, where it has been unequivocally stated that Adam and Eve are the sole progenitors of mankind. He elaborates further, contending that the word numerous must be read in light of the fact that the verse qualifies that its audience is all of mankind. In this light, the word kathir, numerous, is not relative to something else, i.e. it is not to say that many men and women were spread from Adam and Eve in comparison to the offspring of others, but rather it is numerous inherently as an elaboration. He says that it does not matter that most people are from Adam and Eve, indicating that a small group of people are from other than Adam and Eve. To support this further in his tafsir lessons, he also brings forward the fact that all of humanity is referred to as Bani Adam in the Qur'an on several occasions. In eight different instances, the Qur'an speaks to Bani Adam as a direct reference to all of mankind. Thus, Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli's conclusions is that the verse is most likely speaking about all humans in existence as the direct descendants of Adam and Eve. However, he does not unequivocally negate the Quranic plausibility of our ancestry consisting of more than just Adam and Eve. He says, quote, The ancestry of current human beings from various mothers and fathers is not rationally impossible. However, a definitive reasoning for this has not yet been established, such that we would move away from a dhahiri prima facie meaning of the verse and a hadith. The diversity of races and skin colors has also evolved over a long period of time due to environmental differences. The existence and discovery of fossils and the skeletons of humans from millions of years ago does not harm the issue of the emergence and reproduction of the current generation of human beings, especially of Adam and Eve. Before Adam, many human beings were created and then became extinct, and the current generation of human beings on Earth all reach Adam and Eve. End quote. There are also other possibilities that one could imagine explaining the notion that we are solely the descendants of Adam and Eve. It is possible that God decided to use identical DNA sequences from previous Homo sapiens in his formation of Adam and Eve in a creation process separate from evolution. This means that although their DNA and ours may be almost identical to those previous Homo sapiens, it is not necessarily the case that Adam and Eve were their direct offspring. As mentioned earlier, the strength of genetic evidence for human evolution is based on the premise that it is more likely for an identical DNA sequence to be inherited versus independently created. To strengthen the idea that it is possible for Adam and Eve to be our sole progenitors is that, as mentioned earlier, some evolutionary biologists have noted that a two-person bottleneck in human history is possible. What this means is that while the genetic diversity of our DNA may arguably come from a 10,000-person ancestral population, this DNA could have passed through two people at a certain point in human history. This cannot be categorically rejected as beyond the realm of possibility. However, 
evolutionary biologists contend that a two-person bottleneck is highly unlikely and improbable. The ahadith we noted earlier also suggests the extinction of other species and then the sudden arrival of Adam. This sudden arrival does not contradict empirical evidence, though it is contradictory to Darwinian theory which hypothesizes that evolution occurs in small gradual stages spanning millions of years. Darwinian theory is not the only theory that offers explanations for evidence found in the fossil record. In fact, Stephen Gold, the paleontologist vehemently against creationism and quoted earlier, along with Niles Eldridge, argue against Darwinian evolution theory. They contend this type of gradual change has no basis in the fossil record, which shows species persisting without significant change in their geological history, with new species appearing rather suddenly. To Niles and Gould, this suggests that speciation often occurs with rapid bursts of mutation in short spans of time. This hypothesis is called punctuated equilibrium, and it attempts to explain the missing gaps where there is a lack in transitional forms in the fossil record. If various species underwent rapid changes in short periods of time, it would make sense for them not to be fossilized, and would account for why the fossil record appears to be empty for thousands of years at a time. While Gould contended that evolution is a fact, he also found enough of a dissonance between Darwin's proposed theory and empirical evidence that he opted for a different explanation. This discussion is relevant because it notes that the sudden arrival of a species on Earth is not unprecedented, rather it is an observed phenomenon. A more foundational critique for the basis of genetics as evidence for evolution is the premise upon which it stands. This is that it is unlikely for DNA to show up with the same genetic diversity and genetic markers without having been directly inherited. The logic is, how could the same pattern of DNA, with all the same random mutations in the same order, show up in a creature that is not directly its offspring? It is more likely that an exact replica of the DNA would be passed on through reproduction. But this supposition precludes the idea of a creator and designer acting intentionally. With the existence of an intentional creator, the likelihood of such a thing occurring is a moot point. Since evolutionary theory presupposes that chance is the main actor, it delineates any explanation beyond inheritance as improbable. If the author of all these DNA sequences is God, and he loves patterns and order, observable in every facet of this universe from single cells to glorious galaxies, why couldn't he create creatures using the same DNA pattern that he had created in other organisms? The only argument against this would be that it is unlikely. This argument does not hold if one negates the idea of randomness in the universe. As such, the foundations of evolutionary theory, chance and probability, become obsolete. The belief in a sole creator and author of the universe renders the idea of God replicating DNA from other creatures as a possibility. In fact, one of the ahadith cited earlier, it is mentioned that previous generations of humans were created from the crusts of the earth. What if this is alluding to previous DNA sequences from the remains of previous hominids on earth, when it is said that Adam was created from dry clay drawn from an aging mud? What if it is meant so literally that God created Adam from the remains of previous evolved homo sapiens? The terms used in the various ayats indicate a stinking substance that has aged, drawn from the earth itself. Many scholars have chosen to interpret this figuratively, but perhaps a literal reading is possible if it was previous DNA sequences that were meant.